We believe, Lord, that you're sovereign. We believe that you're in charge of all things. We believe from the scriptures that you uh, have numbered the hairs on our head. Nothing happens without your permission. You rule over all things. Nothing is out of your control. That gives us uh, great comfort. It gives us great security. Uh, you run everything, uh, even the negative things, uh, even evil you use for your purposes. And sometimes we're baffled by the occurrences that happen in our lives, the setbacks physically, um, when children are afflicted, it especially tears our hearts because they're so young and they're so helpless and we wish that we could take that disease upon us rather than to see them suffer. We, we know that's so hard for Scott and his wife as they have watched their son go through this situation with a neurological problem. And they're concerned and they love this little boy and it breaks their hearts. We don't understand why these things are allowed to come into our lives, but they are. It's, it's the reality of life. It wasn't intended to be this way from the garden because in the garden of Eden there was no sickness and there was no pain. But because sin entered into the world, now it brings all of these things. But once again, you knew that before you created the world. It's amazing to us that Jesus was the Lamb of God from before the foundations of the world. He was the sacrifice before the sacrifice was needed. That kind of baffles us. But nevertheless, it's what the Scripture clearly teaches. So, Lord, when these things come into our lives, and I think of Nancy and, and uh those of us who have worked with her, we appreciate her and love her and her spirit and her heart. And Along with Graham, they're such a great team. Uh, you've used them in such a significant way. We, we always ask why and we wonder why. And we're just driven back to your character and to the fact that you are a God who is good. Even when it doesn't seem that that is so, it is so. Uh, you, you, you work in, in ways that uh, um, we, we wouldn't work. And, and it seems, Lord, even in, in the events of life, that sometimes things are going exactly the wrong way. That's why we thank you for your word and for the revelation that you've given to us. We don't live off uh, what we feel. We don't live off what we uh, would like to be true. We live off your word. We think of Psalm 119. One of those verses says, the sum of thy word is truth. It all adds up. When we put it in the calculator and add it all up, it, it, it all adds up to truth. So we would pray, Lord, that you would intervene. We, we would pray that there would be healing in these situations through whatever means you would so choose. But we also realize, Lord, that we are all terminal. But on the other hand, we realize that you have ordained the number of our days before we were even born. 
the moment of our conception, the moment of our birth, the moment of our death, that's been set. So we pray for comfort, we pray for wisdom, we pray for your will to be done, we pray for growth to take place as a result of these hard things. And, and, and we pray for a, re a realization of your greatness and of your presence. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we'll fear no evil, for you're with us. Not everyone struggles physically, but everyone struggles. Everyone suffers. Every guy in this room has got something in his life he wish he didn't have. We, we all have something that we would like to get rid of. But, Lord, in your goodness, you have afflicted us. Uh, those, things, those things are there for a reason. Those things are there for a purpose. We don't always see them. We don't always understand them. Most of the time, we don't. But they drive us to you. And we are amazed that you tell us in your word that all of these things, the good and the bad and the difficult and the disappointing, all of these things you will one day work together for our good. You'll work them to our advantage. It's an amazing thing. We do ask for wisdom tonight. If there's anything we need, it's wisdom. As we navigate our way through life, whether we're just starting out in adulthood in our 20s or whether we are coming to the end of the trail in our 80s, we ask for wisdom. Wherever it is that we are tonight on the journey of life, we have never been here before. We've never been down this stretch of trail before. It's new to us. Therefore, we need you. We need your wisdom. We need your guidance. We need your perspective. We ask, Lord, as we look again at the life of Moses, that you would give us some meat to chew on. You, you put this stuff in the book for a reason. Just as Moses and Joseph and David went through things, we're going to go through those things. But we can turn to the story of their lives that you have recorded and see how it is that you worked. You want us to know that because you'll work in our lives because you're the same God. So not only for wisdom, but for encouragement, we ask. And we would ask for a massive dose of it tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you could have only one technological advancement of the last hundred years, what would you choose? There's a lot to choose from. I, I think hands down I'd choose air conditioning. But right behind that, I think I might, uh, I might go for a microwave oven. And the reason I say that is that um, I tend to be in a hurry. <clears throat> uh, 
probably you're the same way. We, we like things and we like them now. I remember what our lives were like before we got our microwave. One day I came home and there was this microwave sitting on the counter. It had not been there before. Little did I know how much I would come to appreciate that microwave. Um, maybe we're watching an old movie and in the middle of the movie we decide to want some popcorn. So we'd, we'd, I'd do the popcorn. But I'd do the old method. And, and you know, when you're going to do popcorn, at least this is how it was about 25 years ago, it'd take a while to get popcorn because I'd, I'd have to turn the, the burner on and it's electric, so it takes a while for it to heat up. And then I'd, I'd just use an old pan and then I'd put some butter in the bottom of it and then that's got to melt. Well, right there, you're in the four or five minutes. Uh, you know, put the oil in, rather, I should say, and then you put the popcorn in and then I, I would do this deal. And from the time that I thought about, hey, wouldn't it be, we ought to make some popcorn. From the time I thought about it, till I actually got it into my mouth and could restart the movie, you're probably talking a good 20 minutes. Easy. And Mary came home with this microwave, and she had these flat bags of popcorn. And you throw one of those suckers in there, and you punch in three minutes. And we had popcorn. It, it, it was a life-changing experience. <laughs> Wouldn't it be neat in a Christian life if there was a big old Christian microwave you could buy? And, and you know how on the front of those microwaves, they, they got, they got uh, different things you can cook and how long it takes to cook them? Well, wouldn't it be great if, if they had on there um, uh, fruits of the Spirit? Four minutes. <laughs> you know, you're having a rough day. You're kind of irritable. You're kind of hard to live with. You just pop in that little microwave, punch in four and a half, and you, hey, <laughs> love, joy, peace, patience. Wouldn't that be neat? Uh, the great thing about a microwave is, is that things get done in a hurry. That's not how it works in the Christian life. There are no microwave ovens in the Christian life. There are crock pots. <laughs> but there are no microwaves. When we got married, we were given a crock pot. And that crock pot probably set on the kitchen counter over there in the corner for I don't know how many years it did. At, at least 15 years. And in 15 years, I never touched it once. Never took the I never touched it. Never put anything in it. Uh, you know why? Right on the front, it admitted it. Right on the front, it advertised it. Slow cooker. It even read slow. There's no way I'm touching that thing because I'm in a hurry. I, I, I want it and I want it as soon as possible. Now you can take a chicken and you can put it in a microwave and it'll get done. Uh, it'll get done fairly quickly. You can take a chicken and put it in a crock pot and 
When Mary does that, she usually puts it in in the morning and puts some other stuff in there, and then it's just going all day long. Uh, the crock pot will cook the chicken. The microwave oven will cook the chicken. Both will do the job. But is there a difference in the chicken that comes out of the crock pot versus the one that comes out of the microwave? There's a huge difference. That chicken that comes out of the crock pot after seven or eight hours is so tender. It's all you can do to get it out of the crock pot onto the plate without the pieces just coming off on their own. Most of us don't start out tender. That's not what we're known for. Uh, we as men have strong wills. We have uh, strong ideas. We have strong opinions. We have our plans. We have our goals. We have our objectives. Uh, and we hold them pretty near and dear to our heart. Uh, we can be hard-headed, we can be stubborn, we can be uh, difficult to get along with. And one of the things that God desires to do in our lives it is not to emasculate us. And isn't that good news? I, I personally, I find that to be good news. In some circles, you, you would think that the goal of Christianity is to emasculate a man and to make him like a woman uh, because of the emphasis that is put on certain character qualities like uh, tenderness and sensitivity and gentleness. Those are, good, those are very good characteristics. But they're not the only characteristics in the Christian life. What we tend to do in some circles is that we take tenderness and gentleness and kindness and we elevate those to be the cardinal virtues that God desires in the life of a man. I don't think that's true. Uh, and when I say that, we elevate them. We elevate them over what things? Things like aggressiveness, things like courage, things like standing alone, things like confrontation. Those things are not pleasant, but from time to time they have to be done. What happens in certain circles in Christianity, we take kindness and tenderness and gentleness and sensitivity, and we say those are the ultimate characteristics. And that is not true. They are no more important than aggressiveness and courage and standing alone and confrontation. It's just that what needs to happen is you need the right characteristic to come out at the right time. And so often as men, we bring out the wrong characteristic at the wrong time. So many times, when we need to be gentle, we get hard because of how we are. We, we all need to grow, and we all need to change, and we all need to be conformed to the image of Christ. So that's a process that God is going to do in our lives, and as I read the scripture, it doesn't happen in a microwave oven. And it doesn't happen in three minutes or seven minutes or nine minutes. It happens in a slow cooker. 
Usually God doesn't have to work. Usually, usually. Uh, God doesn't have to work in a guy's life uh, to... Um, and even as I say this, I'm editing this because of how our culture is falling apart. You say, what are you editing? I would say this. I think 100 years ago, we celebrated masculinity. But we live in a culture today where men are being feminized all the time. Uh, and, and when Newsweek magazine acknowledges it, if you read the article that was in Newsweek last week on boys in the public school system, uh, we do not encourage masculine traits. Historically, masculine traits have been appreciated and embraced and encouraged. What I was going to say is that usually, usually, God doesn't have to work in a guy's life uh, to, make him, um, to make him strong-willed. But today, or, or to make him stand alone. It used to be that's what men would do. But it seems like today, because the foundations are being destroyed, the basic things of life and the basic things of gender, that's a loaded term. Uh, God invented gender. God made them male and female. He made men, here's an interesting idea, different than women. And he likes the difference. Uh, what we're attempting to do in our culture today is to, is to feminize men and masculinize women. And we start early in the educational system. If you're a regular, normal, strong-willed guy, at some point in your life, you're going to find yourself in a crockpot. And the thing about crockpots in the Christian life when you're in them, you want out of them. And you want out of them as soon as you possibly can get out. But it's going to be a while. Because it's a slow, it's a slow cooker. Now here's the good news. When God puts you in one of these crockpot seasons of life, the good news is you're not in there forever. And that's what we'll see tonight. Moses is about to come out of a 40-year season in the crockpot. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to Exodus chapter 4. The first 40 years of Moses' life, an amazing story. His people are slaves in Egypt. He should be a slave. Actually, he shouldn't even be alive because the order went from Pharaoh that all the baby boys were to be killed because the Israelites were proliferating and becoming uh, greater in number than the Egyptians whom they were serving. But through a remarkable chain of events, through a, a providential chain of events, uh, Moses is hidden by his sister, in the bulrushes along the Nile River, Pharaoh's daughter comes by, sees him, is favorable towards him. As a result, he will now be raised in Pharaoh's household. His mother will be his nurse. Uh, and as a result, uh, 
he had tremendous privilege in his life. Uh, if you've been with us in our study, you know that at the age of 39, he tried to intervene and deliver his people from slavery. He understood that God had not just put him there for his own personal uh, benefit. Uh, an Israeli slave was being beaten by an Egyptian officer. Moses stepped in, killed the Egyptian. And as a result of that, um, he had to flee for his life because instead of being in favor of Pharaoh, now he is being hunted by Pharaoh. So he goes to a place called Midian. He is in Midian for 40 years. So the first 40 years of his life, he lives in luxury and, and privilege in Egypt. The second 40 years of his life, he's in the middle of this barren desert. Gets up to over 130 degrees in that area of Midian, south and uh, east of the Dead Sea. Uh, iguanas avoid that area. It, it is not, there aren't a lot of gated subdivisions in that area. It, it, it is something, it's a place you want to avoid. He's there for the next 40 years, and all he's doing is working with some sheep. Uh, he thinks he's finished, he thinks he's done, he thinks things are, uh, he thinks he had his shot, and he blew it, and he missed it. But he's about to come to the end of that chapter and begin a new chapter, and we looked at this in Exodus 4 last week, and Exodus 3, where the Lord speaks to him out of a bush that is burning but is not consumed. And what has happened to this guy, uh, Moses, who, who was very, very, in his first 40 years, very confident, very self-assured, uh, had his list of successes, had, had a resume that would be very, very impressive, wouldn't even need to be doctored at all. He just would tell the truth. He was one impressive individual with uh, remarkable gifts, uh, remarkable connections. Uh, he was the logical guy to set the people of Israel free. Uh, he had a shot. He blew it. The next 40 years, uh, I think he verges on despair. I think he is in discouragement. I think he lives a life of disappointment and a life of regret. Uh, Really, the next 40 years, absolutely nothing is happening. He is just simply existing. And then, just out of the blue, in Exodus 4, and in actually beginning with 3, I should say, the Lord shows up and gives him a mission. If you look at chapter 3, verse 10, Therefore come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, what's going to happen is, Moses, who, had, who was ready to take that on 40 years before, he wants nothing to do with this now. And he's going to give the Lord some objections as to why he is not the guy. And to every objection that he gives, um, the Lord comes back with an affirmative reason why it is he should go ahead and undertake this mission, and it all comes back to the fact that I will be with you, and I will be whatever, whatever you need. Um, what was it that Jesus said? Jesus said in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. And in our uh, stubbornness 
and in our hard-headedness and in our uh, dreams, we, we sometimes get so fixated and so uh, compulsive about what it is that we want to do, we just go charging out, ready to do it, without really checking in with the Lord as to what it is he wants us to do and when it is that he wants us to do it. This, was a, th- this 40 years was, was a brutal time for him. And if you read through 3 and 4, and we looked at these last week, he gives the Lord the objections, and then the Lord lets him know. The, really, one of the classic ones, and we looked at it last week, is in chapter 4, verse 10. Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither recently nor in times past. And, and we saw in Acts 7, 22, where Stephen, in referring to Moses, said that he was a man of power in words and in deeds. He had been eloquent. But what had happened, this guy had had the drain plug pulled on him, and he lost all of his confidence. Sometimes you can take a shot in life that you need to take. But what can happen is, just as some, at, 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 when, when we're young, sometimes we swing so far one way into uh, uh, an excessive self-confidence uh, we, we swing so far into what it is we want to do and what we want to accomplish that sometimes when the Lord is trying to get our attention, you know, David said, it was good for me that I was afflicted. Why was it good for him? Because it swung him back to where he needed to be. But sometimes when you're out over here, before you find balance, you swing all the way over here. And you say, I'm nothing, I can't do anything. Um, some of you guys at times have thought it would be better for your family if you weren't alive. That's how disappointed you were in your circumstances and how disappointed you were in yourself. Now, that's as out of balance as this over here. So we find that place of balance where we move ahead under the leadership of the Lord and we wait, and when he says move, we move. We don't get ahead of him, we wait for him. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, you wait, and you ponder, and you pray, and you talk with other men that love the Lord that you know and who know you, and you get wisdom. And in abundance of counselors, there's wisdom, there's victory, the Scripture says. So it's a process we're going through. He tells the Lord, I I, I can't speak. Verse 11, the Lord said to him who has made man's mouth, or who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind, is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, and I, even I, will be your mouth, with your mouth, and teach you what you are to say. But he said, Lord, please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. Well, guess what? You're whomever I will. So he pulls in his brother Aaron, which later would hurt him. You know, there's a principle here, and the principle is you don't need to negotiate with God. If he says go, go. If he says, I'll be with you, he'll be with you. You don't need to give God, well, Lord, have you, have you thought about this? He doesn't need that. I, I find it interesting. He gives all these objections to the Lord. And then you come down to verse 18. Then Moses departed, returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go 
that I may return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see if they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. As I've read this, you know what I wonder about all these objections that he was bringing up, this and this and this? I wonder if this really wasn't the central issue. It was one of fear. Because you see, Moses had failed. And as men, when we fail, along with that failure comes something else. And what that is, is the fear of another failure. We don't want that. Um, He's got all these objections to the Lord. I, I find it interesting that it's only after the Lord says to him that those who were seeking your life are dead, he's ready to go. Interesting in the Christian life, isn't it? How at times the very thing that you failed in is the very thing that down the road God will take you back to. And you don't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. Um, but here's the good news. Moses was about to enter a new chapter of life. And he was going to see the goodness of God, and he was going to see the faithfulness of God. Uh, it, it, it didn't all click in overnight. But what you begin to see in the third period of the life of Moses, the third 40 years as he goes to Egypt to set the people free and then he's going to lead them into land and all of that or right to the edge of the land is that you see him growing in his confidence growing in his you see him swinging back to the middle not excessive self-confidence not loathing who he is I'm worthless I can't do it you, you see him finding balance as he goes through the next 40 years because what, what he is doing here is that he is discovering that, yes, indeed, the Lord will do what the Lord has said he will do. He, he, is, developing a, he is developing a faith that God will come through and do what God has promised. And that is what the journey is all about, is, is, learning, is learning to trust him. So how do we learn to trust him? you got to find yourself in a crock pot from time to time. And they're not pleasant. Flip over, if you would, to Psalm 130. Before we leave Moses, as he's coming out of this crock pot, 40-year crock pot of his life, The perspective of Psalm 130, to me, is it's one of the most realistic and honest prayers in the Scripture. The writer says, Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. Uh... This guy in Psalm 130 
which, which, what needs to be understood about the guy in Psalm 130 is that this guy is in trouble. This guy is in great difficulty. Uh, this guy is under tremendous pressure. When he says, out of the depths, when you go down into the depths of the sea, there is tremendous pressure and there is tremendous darkness. When you are in one of these chapters that has slow cooker written on it, it usually is accompanied by great pressure and it's accompanied by great darkness because you're not sure how you get out of it. It's not a pleasant time of life. Uh, the the mid-40 years of the life of Moses was a bitter time. It was a hard time. I, I'm sure at times he wondered if he would get through it. I'm sure at times he wondered if he would survive it. What he didn't know as he was going through it is that it was absolutely necessary. Some of us had good fathers. Some of us had not good fathers. Some of us had no fathers. If you had a good father, there were times when you thought your good father wasn't good because of what he would do to you as a result of what you had done in violating what he had asked you to do. Uh, at times, you may have thought your good father was overly strict. But you look back now, and you're grateful that he was that way. Uh, you might have thought that he was a very strong disciplinarian. And at the time, you greatly resented that, and you wished that he could have been more easily manipulated, like your friend's father down the street. And now you look back on your father and his emphasis on discipline and you thank God for it. Because your father, and you knew that he loved you, if you had a father like this, when he was hard on you and when he put pressure on you and when he interrupted your life and your plans and said, no, you can't do this, you look back now and you are grateful for a father like that, and you understand that he knew things you didn't know. And even the hard things he allowed and permitted and brought into your life, which you thought were detrimental to your life, now you look back and you see how good those things were for you. Because what your father was attempting to do was to train you to become a man, a responsible man. That's what God does with us. So sometimes he allows us to get into the depths. Now, why do we get into the depths? I actually covered this a few years ago on a Sunday morning. But uh, that was four years ago. I don't expect you to remember this. I'm offended you don't, but <laughs> quite frankly, I don't remember it. Why is it that we get into the depths? I heard Tommy Nelson say something one time. It was very insightful. He said there are two reasons men get into the depths. 
The first reason is because of just the circumstances of life. Uh, we as Christian men are not exempt from hardship and from difficulty. Uh, we're just not. Not if, not, not, if you read the Bible, you're going to find out that God takes his men through difficult things. We've talked about that a hundred times in here. And the reason we keep talking about that is because most of Christianity is not talking about that. Most of Christianity is weak and foolish. What was the term Chuck used? Uh, anemic? Why are they anemic? Because they're not teaching the scriptures. If you think everything's supposed to be great in your life all the time, you get, you're confused. That's called heaven. We're not there yet. If you think the absence of difficulty is supposed to be the norm in your life, you're a little confused in terms of the events of Scripture. That happens later. It doesn't happen on this earth. Right now, we're being trained in righteousness. That's what God's doing in our lives. So we're going to encounter difficulty. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. Endurance. Because it's a long journey. So that you may be perfect and complete, lacking and nothing. So the way that you get endurance is to go through difficult things. That's how you become a good husband. That's how you become a better father. That's how you become a better man of God is going through difficulty. It's a process. We wish the process wasn't the way that it, that, that it is, but this is just the fact of the matter. So we are not exempt from circumstances. We're not exempt from hard times. We're not exempt from, uh, we're not exempt from, uh, from hardship physically. Uh, we're not exempt. Paul back there has got Lou Gehrig's disease. He's a believer, but believers aren't exempt from Lou Gehrig's disease or exempt from cancer or exempt from depression or exempt from financial setbacks or rebellious kids. We're not exempt. We are part of that. Now, when we go through those things, we don't go through them randomly. They don't happen to us by chance. It's not karma. It's the hand of God. If, did you catch the verse back there when God's talking to Moses? Back in Exodus. Where was it? I meant to say something about it and I skipped right over it. 419. That's almost it. 11 is what we're after. The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth, or who makes him mute, or deaf, or seen, or blind? The blind man in John 9, blind from birth. Who has sinned? Was it him who sinned? Was it his parents? No. Why is he this way? So that the works of God might be displayed in him. So God is sovereign in all these things. We're, we're not exempt. 
regardless of what Christian television broadcasts 24-7. The good news, half of that is baloney news. You're going to suffer, you're going to go through hardship because he wants to mature you. He wants to mature me. That's just how it is. And if you know that out of the blocks, you're going to be better off. Here's the second reason we go into the depths. The second reason we go into the depths is because of our own sin where we consciously and willingly go against what we know to be wrong, or, or rather go against what we know to be right, and we do what's wrong. And as a result of that foolish step, we get ourselves in trouble, and we find ourselves spiraling downward, and we find ourselves in the depths and in great darkness and under great pressure. And the hardship of that is that not only do we take ourselves into the depths, but we take those that we love with us. So the two reasons guys get into the depths. Moses was in the depths. Why was he in the depths for 40 years? Because God had to teach him some things. God, God had to, God didn't, and I'm sure Moses thought, man, I'm shelved. That was it. I had my shot. No, no, you're not shelved. You're just in boot camp, man. Now, now you're in reality. That palace thing and the chariots and the chicks and all that and the peeled grapes, that's not real life. This is real life. This is what makes a man. Some guy coming in at 5 a.m. and screaming in your ear, blowing a trumpet in your ear, that's real life. And getting up and running 12 miles before breakfast. See, that's what makes a man. And you guys that have been through boot camp, what's your big line? I'd never want to go through it again, but I'm sure glad I did. And, and you ought to be glad, because look what it did for you. Why, why do we send boys that are having trouble and, you know, they're not sure? Why? Send those suckers to the Marines. Why? And you've seen them come back. You've seen them come back, haven't you? And they're different. <clears throat> and you know what? They're more confident. They've they got a direction. They feel better about themselves. Why? Because they've disciplined. You see, nah, that's what God's doing here. So he's got a 40-year boot camp. He's got a 40-year crockpot. we got all kinds of metaphors for this thing. But he's in difficulty. He's under great pressure. If you're back at Psalm 130, this guy is calling out to the Lord. When you're in that kind of pressure, when you're in a kind of darkness, you know what? It's real smart to call out to the Lord. Now, this particular guy in Psalm 130, I think he's there, and this is just conjecture on my part, I don't know for sure, but I think he's there because of his own sin. And the reason I think he's there because of his own sin is because of what he says in verse 3. He says, if you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Why does he bring that up? Because I think that's why he's in the depths. I think he went against the Lord. He did something he knew he shouldn't have done, and he went ahead and did it anyway. What is it that he did? I don't know. But he sinned. Instead of submitting his will to the fathers, instead of waiting on the Lord, he had to go do his thing. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned each one to his own way. That's the story of our lives. Uh, you might be in the depths that you're here tonight. And the reason you're in the depths 
is because you knowingly and willingly went against what you knew the Lord did not want you to do. You went ahead and did it anyway. Because, see, you got that strong will going. That's got to be broken. That will has got to become submitted to Christ. Lord, if you should mark iniquities, O oh Lord, who could stand? You know, sometimes uh, I, I get the sense from this guy that he was so far down, and sometimes this happens, that, that you think no one's ever been where you are or no one's ever screwed up as badly as you've screwed up. But that's not true. You know, the great thing about God is that God is sovereign over our sin. That's how big he is. Every guy in this room, we have things we wish we could go back and change. We, we would give anything to go back and erase things. If we could have another shot, we would do it differently, but we can't. You know, the great thing about God is that sin that, that and for many of us, it's, there's one sin that keeps coming back and back to us. Probably the worst thing we ever did. We're so ashamed. We have so much regret. We have so much remorse. That thing, that thing keeps coming back and back to us. And the enemy keeps throwing it up in our face. You know, the great thing about God is that God is sovereign over that. that uh, isn't he? What's Romans 8.28 say? And we know that God causes... All things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So when it says that God causes all things, you know what that really means? It means he causes all things, including the worst thing you've ever done. The, the biggest screw-up you ever made in your life. He will even use that. What does it say? We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And, and what God's going to do is that he's going to utilize that, and as, and as you learn to not do that, and you learn not to go your own way, and you learn not to fight him, but you learn to submit and you, and you learn to do it as he leads you and he, as he directs you, and as, and as you're letting him run the show, and you put him on the throne of your life. You know, crusade has that little deal with the throne of your heart. You know, at some point, and it doesn't just happen once, all the way, you know, all the way through the Christian life, I think the Lord's saying, who's on the throne of your heart? And what, what tends to be happening is, little throne thing, we, we like to be king. We like to be sitting on the throne of our heart and calling the shots and everything. And, but Jesus needs to be there. And, and as we go through life, we keep jumping back up on that throne. But he's got to be on the throne. He's not just our Savior. He's our Lord. He's our king. So we got to learn some things. But here's what's so great about him. You're not the first guy to screw up. You're not the first guy to, 
to do something reprehensible. You're not the first guy to be foolish and to be stupid. Just look around. There's a whole bunch of us like that in here. You see? Lord, if you, could, if you would mark iniquities, who would stand? Well, he does mark iniquities. He knows what we've done. But then catch what he says next. Here's the good news. But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. So when a guy comes to the Lord in brokenness and in honesty, and, and you're not trying to spin the Lord, you're genuinely repentant. And, and what is genuine repentance? It's uh, every, whenever you make a U-turn, you've repented. That's a U-turn. Uh, to repent, you're going this way, but then you change and you go the other way. This, when the Lord sees that, when the Lord sees that, there's forgiveness. Uh, we, we have to make the point there, that there's two kinds of repentance. There's authentic repentance and there's synthetic repentance. There are those who will say the right words, but it doesn't come from the heart. And you, you've, you know what this is. You, you've heard someone who has said the right things, but you know it's not it just doesn't, it doesn't resonate. Uh, they say it because it's expected. They say it because they were caught. That's synthetic. That's fake repentance. That's Clintonian <laughs> repentance. In my opinion. Thomas Watson used to say that repentance is the vomiting of the soul. That's repentance. Where, where what you did was so reprehensible, you vomited up before God. You hate it. You despise it. You've got a broken spirit over it. When God sees that, there's forgiveness. When God sees a guy who's that broken, you know what? In the next six months to 12 months, God will forgive you. That's not quite right. How soon will he forgive you when he sees repentance like that? Immediately. That's how fast God will forgive. When he sees a broken and contrite heart, boom. There's immediate forgiveness and your sins are cleansed. All right, now here's the deal. If someone's in the depths because of their sin, if you're in the crock pot because of your sin and because of what you did and, and there's a broken spirit and you're not covering it, and you're not conning anybody, and you're not hiring a PR firm, and you're not taking a poll. You just come out and say, Lord, here's what I do. And you're broken. Is there immediate forgiveness? The answer is yes. Does that then mean that God will immediately bring you out of the difficulty? The answer to that is no. Why? Because there are lessons to be learned in the depths that can be learned nowhere else. That's why Moses was in there for 40 years. Remember we said that Moses was getting an MCA degree and there are different courses that you take when you are signed up for an MCA, a master's of character acquisition. It's an advanced degree that nobody in their right mind would ever sign up for because it's so hard. So what happens is 
No one signs up for this on their own. So what God does is that God signs you up and God puts you in. And so you're taking these very, very difficult courses where you are going to learn some very, very difficult lessons that you don't learn when life is just going peachy keen. Now, you've been forgiven if you're in there because of your sin. But now what do you have to do? And what's your heart's desire? Your desire is to get out. I think with Moses in his middle 40 years, I think he thought he'd be there till he died. I think Moses had just reached a point of resignation. Just go through it, and one day, you'll, you know, one day I'll die and it'll be over. Uh, I, think, I personally think Moses had lost all hope. He got to a, a state of utter resignation. Uh, he was finished. He was done. When we're in these difficult times, because we're human, what we want is we want to get out of them as soon as possible. But note the very disturbing word that occurs in verse 5. This guy's forgiven, but notice what he says. I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. Look at verse 6. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. You go to Israel... And you go visit those old cities, and they all had walls around them. And at night when everybody was asleep, they had a watchman, and the guy would walk the walls. If the walls were big enough and large enough, he'd actually walk on top of the wall. If they weren't that large, he would walk the perimeter of the wall. And as he was working the graveyard, any guys ever worked graveyard at any time in your life? If you ever work graveyard, what is it that you're waiting for? You're waiting for the morning. You're waiting for the sun to come up to get the heck out of there and get home and get some sleep. Because you're good for about two hours. In the last six hours, you're just going through the motions. You don't even know where you are. <laughs> if you've ever worked graveyard, you know what I'm talking about. And that whole time from about 1.30 on, you're just waiting for the morning. What this guy says here is that my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman waits for the morning. Because you keep wanting it to get over with. Now, here's the deal. The longer you're in there, here's what your battle's going to be. If you're in a crockpot like this, if you're in a difficult time like this, you want out. And the longer you're in it, you know what your fight's going to be? Your fight is going to be losing hope. The fight is going to be thinking that you're always going to be in there. So what do you do? How do you not lose hope? Take a look again at verse 5. It's hidden in there. I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait. Catch this. And in his word do I hope. There you go. You know, you know, what, uh, you know what the Lord's done for us? He's given us more than he gave Moses, in a sense. Moses did not have this completed book. Moses did not have the story of his own life. Moses lived as an example to us, 1 Corinthians 10 says. These things that happened in the Old Testament, these things that happened in Israel, these things that happened to the people of Israel, to Moses and Joseph and Daniel and David, these things happened as examples to us. 
So that's why we studied Paul. That's why we're looking at Moses. Why? Because we're going through the same thing, down the same road, down the same trail, and when these things happen, as I keep the word of God open before me, it gives me hope that I'm not the first guy in the world to be here. I'm not the first guy in the world to go through this. In fact, this is a normal process that God's men are taken through. But you got to keep your Bible open. The temptation, you know what the temptation is? The temptation is to keep your Bible closed. That's what the enemy wants. Uh, I, I had a different morning this morning, had some things. I got off what I normally do. And usually when I'm in the mornings, I usually, have a, I, I usually spend time in the scriptures. It's, pretty, it's what I do. But this morning, had different things come. I, I didn't. And I was driving home about 1 o'clock, and I was going to stop in and just get some lunch on the way home. And I thought I'd get a paper, because I hadn't read the paper either. And I, and I needed some bad news. <laughs> and I needed some distortion. And I needed to read Deception and Lies. And, uh, and I thought, well, I'll just, I'll just get a newspaper. And then I remembered that I hadn't spent my time in the Scripture this morning. And you know what was really interesting? I thought to myself, well, I ought to, just, I ought to read my Bible. Just take it in and read my Scriptures. Because I got a little calendar thing I read. I thought, nah, you know, I'd really like to read the paper. And I got out of my truck, and I started going to the restaurant, and uh, I was going to go find a paper, and my Bible was in the back seat. And I, had to, I literally stopped right there in the parking lot, and I had to think about it for a minute. What am I going to do here? Why, why did that even come up? Why was that an issue? You know why it's an issue? He, the enemy, does not want me in this book. When you go to open this book, you will always get resistance. He doesn't want you in it. Has this been your experience? It's my experience. You can love the book and you'll get resistance. He'll do whatever you can do to get you out of this book because this book contains words of life. So you keep it open and you're in it and then it gets in you. And when you're in your crock pot and you're in that thing and you think, you know what, you know how long I've been in? You know, this is never going to end. You find out, you know what, it is going to end. Moses was in it. He came out of it. Joseph was in it. He came out of it. Paul was in it. He came out of it. Then he went back in it, came out of it again. This will happen in different ways at different times in your life. But as we've said before, these times have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And what we're seeing back in Exodus is that Moses was ready to come out. Do you think he knew that that day he was moving the sheep to the other side of the wilderness? Do you think he was saying, you know, I think this might be my day. 
I saw Benny Hinn last night, and I think this is my day. I don't think so. This is your day. How the heck do you know that? What a bunch of nonsense. What do you mean this is your day? This is God's day. He calls the shots. That's just baloney. This is your day. This is your day if he lets you breathe. But he had no clue that day was going to be the day when God was going to say, it's over, new chapter. When I get to heaven, I want to ask Joseph and I want to ask Moses. I want to ask Moses, that day of the burning bush, did you have any sense in your mind that things were going to turn for you and God was going to send you back to bring about a phenomenal set of miracles? Did you have any clue? You know what I think he's going to say? Absolutely not. You know what I want to ask Joseph? I want to ask Joseph, 45 minutes before Pharaoh called you and put you in power as the number two man in that nation, did you have any inclination that that was going to happen? You know what I think? I think he's going to say no. In fact, you know what I really think he's going to say? That was probably the worst day I'd ever had because it had been going on for so long and I was starting to lose hope. That's my clue. You say, well, how do you know that? I don't know. I'm just guessing. But I think that's the experience of a lot of God's people. That right when you think you're dead and you're finished, boom, he steps in and raises you up and you're in a new chapter. You know what that is for me? That gives me hope. I need hope. Maybe you need hope. That's why this stuff is in here. He wants us to know. He knows exactly where we are. He's running our circumstances. He's doing the work. And when we least expect it, he's going to bring us out. And when he brings you out of the depths, you're going to be a better man coming out than you were going in. Next week, we're going to talk about the 14 ways that God will prosper your life. (laughs) And then the next week, we're going to talk about how you can be healed of every disease and difficulty in your life. Immediately. If you just have enough faith. We're not going to talk about that because that's not in the Bible. We'll talk about what the scripture says. And you know what that does? That sets us free, doesn't it? Quite frankly, doesn't, don't you have a load taken off? Just knowing how God works? Gosh, I do. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your greatness. That you are the truth giver. You see every guy. You run every circumstance in every guy's life. The good, the bad, and the ugly, you run it. You don't spoil us. You don't give us what we want. You give us what we need because you have greater things in mind for us than we have in mind for ourselves. You want to make us tools that are sharp and that can be strategically used for your kingdom. That's going to take some fire. It's going to take some heat. It's going to take some pounding. None of us would choose that. But in your goodness, you have chosen it for us. 
I pray for each of us that you would make us teachable, that we would not fight you, that we would submit, and we would simply say, have thine own way, O Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. That's what we want. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.